Oh, thanks, you guys. That was great. And hey, when the kids were up here, I, um, I saw the, the cross here in the background. And next week, we're going to be talking about the, the difference that Jesus made when it came to kids and how the whole world ended up seeing kids as a result of, of Jesus' life. And so I was thinking about that passage about let the, the children come to me. And thanks for being a group of people who welcome kids. Thank you for that. Thank you that you let kids be kids here. That with, with all their fun and all their energy and all of their powdered sugar all over everything and, and all of that. Thank you. Thank you so much for being a, a church family where, where kids aren't just tolerated or kids aren't just taught, but kids are welcomed and loved. And kids, I hope you feel that. I hope you know that, that we love you and we are so excited to have you as a part of our, our church family. Well, let me, let me transition by asking a question here. How many of you are big fans of seating charts? Anybody big fans? Teachers. How many of you are teachers that just rate? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's actually where I was going. Um, you know, the first place I was introduced to, to seating charts was school. And uh, I loved seating charts when I got to sit next to my buddies. Then they were great. I uh, didn't love seating charts when my buddies were on the other side of the room. Then it wasn't so great. But, but I understand that. I, you know, whether you, you love them or hate them, seating charts make a lot of sense in school. They make a lot of sense in school because the purpose of the school is to help you get a good education, and seating charts can help with that. So even if you don't like seating charts, at least hopefully you can see that in a school, a seating chart makes sense. Well, in a couple weeks, our family's going down to Juarez to see our friends down there at the Manual Children's Home. And seating charts are going to be something that are going to be true for us all the way down there. When we get on the plane, there's going to be a very specific seat that we sit in. And because we bought cheap seats, there will be all kinds of other things that go along with that. There will be certain lines that we can't go in. There will be certain areas that we can't sit. There will be certain perks that, uh, that, are, that we will not be privileged to. But again, I'm not upset about that, you know, because the, the airline's a business. The airline's a business. And it makes complete sense that in a business whose purpose is to make money, that they're going to offer more perks to those who pay more. I get that. So I don't have a problem with seating charts at school. I don't have a problem with seating charts um, in, in, in an airplane. But where I get rubbed the wrong way is when you see seating charts that are based on things like race, or based on things like status, or based on things like popularity, or based on those types of things. And there are certainly people, there are certainly people who create these seating charts based on where they think they belong in terms of putting themselves before others. Now, it might be hard to see because there's a lot of folks in here, but if you, if you can draw your attention to the center aisle, I've got two little tables set up. And I'm going to refer to these tables throughout our message here, so let me explain them a little bit now. Um, at this first table, this one closest to here, to the platform, I've got a, a bowl here. And let's pretend this represents serving others. So this is a serving table here. This is a serving table. One of the things that servants used to do back in the day, we've referenced this many times here in big church, um, is they used to have to wash people's feet. So that was a, a serving kind of thing. Now, back here, further back, I've got the treat table. Got the treat table. The, some of our women were away at a little retreat, and they had some taffy. And so I've got some treats here, some, some taffy. So we're going to call that the treat table. Now, most people, if, if they had a choice of where they got to sit, where are most people going to want to sit? They're going to want to sit at the treat table, right? 
It's just, it's just natural. And what happens, and, and what does rub me the wrong way, is when there are folks who say there are certain people who deserve to sit at the serving table. And there are those who deserve to sit at the treat table based on things like race, based on things like your gender, based on things like your popularity. That, that rubs me the wrong way. Well, where does that come from? Where does that come from? Because that's not a concept that the world held. Most of the world didn't hold that concept. Most of us would say that's just wrong. Where does that come from? Because most of the world didn't think that was wrong. Most of the world thought that's the way it is. In fact, I encourage you to write this down inside your notes or inside your bulletins if you can find it because there's a lot of stuff in there today. Um, but the inside there, there's a purple page. And I would encourage you to re- write this down. This is, this is something that is, this idea of equality is something that is so much in the fabric of America that we don't stop to recognize, well, where did that come from? Where did that come from? Because we don't stop to recognize this wasn't true for the world. This wasn't true for the world. In fact, I'm going to make a very bold claim here. Prior to Jesus, there are certain truths that weren't self-evident, at least among the mainstream. Maybe there were pockets, but at least among the mainstream world, there are certain truths that were not self-evident. In fact, in the ancient world, slavery was universal. It was universal. You went basically any place in the world at Jesus' time or before, and you'd find slavery almost anywhere you went. And it wasn't always race-based. It wasn't always race-based. It could happen to just about anyone, and, and it sometimes did. Now, if you were a slave, which table, and you can say this out loud, which table did your master believe you belonged at? The serving table. If you were a slave, your master thought that's where they belonged. And where did they think they belonged? They belonged at the tree table. They thought that's just the way it is. A slave belongs at the serving table. The master belongs at the treat table. And they would make up all these kind of rules and things like that that would put them at the treat table and others at the serving table. It's interesting that at the time of Jesus, even among the Romans, and I point this out because Rome was arguably the most civilized society that the world had ever seen, arguably anyway. At the time of Jesus, even among the Romans, there were some who not some, it was mainstream belief that among the Romans that slaves were believed to be lesser persons. It's not that just, just you had worked your way up. They were believed to have been lesser persons by those who seated themselves at the treat table. Believe it or not, there was a Roman legal term that referred to slaves that we would translate in English as either not having a person or not having a face. There was an actual legal term that they would apply to people at the serving table. They would say they're not a person. They're not a person. Among the most civilized, arguably, society that the world had ever seen, they they would say there are some people who aren't persons. They belong there at the serving table. Among the world's leading nation at the time, there were distinct seating charts based on whether or not you were a Roman citizen or if you were an outsider, whether you were a man or a woman, whether you were a child or an adult, whether you were slave or free. So this was very common. This was very common. In, in the first century, many people said there's just some people who just belong there at the serving table, and there are some people who just belong at the treat table. So, so what happened? If that's how most of the world saw things in the first century, what happened between the first century and the 18th century to get us here? Some of these words might look excuse me, very familiar to some of you. We hold these truths to be what? Self-evident. 
We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men, that all women are created what? Equal. We're created equal. That they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. Among these are the rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I know we have it on the screen, but where, does, where do those words come from? Our, our Declaration of Independence. This is in the fabric of our society now. How, how did that happen? How did we go from universally believing one thing as a, as a humankind to, to getting to this other place where now this is in the fabric of our society? In the first century, you know, did folks hold those things to be self-evident? No, they said it's self-evident. I mean, there's, there's quotes from Aristotle. That, no, it's self-evident. Some people just belong in this lower class. It's just, that's just how it is. That was self-evident to them. Did those first century folks believe that people were endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that this came from God? No. No, Rick. <laughs> but I love your enthusiasm, man. I love you, Rick. But the answer is there's no. In fact, the gods of the ancients, the gods of the ancients barely, barely tolerated people. They barely tolerated them. They certainly, certainly didn't say, you're, worth, you're, you're of great worth and great value because we bestowed that upon you. That's, that's how the ancients believed things. Then how do we get from Roman law to this American declaration? How do we get from universal slavery to self, self-evident rights that are divinely derived? I'll tell you what happened. Jesus happened. Jesus happened. And people caught the vision that he saw. And people got his spirit in them. And Jesus forever changed the world. So much so now that this just seems like common. Who doesn't see this as self-evident? Jesus didn't bring a new teaching as much as he emphasized and lived out what Jewish people had known for thousands of years. That there is one God. And he is of infinite worth. And every being who has ever lived, male or female, adult or child, slave or free, they bear his image. Everybody does. Everybody does. Everybody does. We were created in the image of God. No matter where you go, if you could go back in a time machine, if you could go forward in time, every person you'd ever meet, every person you'd lock eyes with, every person bears God's image. That's what the Jewish folks believe, and that's what Jesus helped bring to the world. As a result of this understanding, now that there isn't, one single gender, one single race or age alone that is destined for the treat table. This is, this is something I'd, I'd like us to wrestle with today. This idea here, and there's a place to write this in your notes. Jesus proposed a radically different seating chart. He proposed a radically different seating chart from the one that people were using. Today, when we sit down at the potluck, when we sit down at the potluck today, is there going to be tables that are based on gender or race or or popularity no rick <laughs> i love you rick no there's not in fact being christians we believe all god's people bear the image of god um we believe there's no one here of greater worth greater worth in god's eyes than, than anyone else um in fact we're gonna we go the extra mile here you're gonna find at our church the biggest givers don't get the best seats you know, this isn't a pay-per kind of deal. The people who serve the most don't get the best seats. I don't know where the best seats would be in that room, but, but if there were, they don't get them. That, and, and that just seems common sense to us, right? Wouldn't it feel weird? Wouldn't some of you consider going to another church 
if you came and you, you re- hey, wait a minute. There, there's this hierarchy here. It, it just, there's something in us that just says that's just wrong. It's just wrong. Where did that come from? I'd argue. Jesus brought it to the mainstream. We don't do that stuff. That's right, Rick. We don't do that stuff. Jesus forever altered our seating chart. Let's take a look at, at one example in the scriptures where we see this. So if you have your Bibles, let's open up to Luke chapter 14. Um, it's, if you do have your Bibles, today might be one of those uh, Sundays where you kind of keep reading after I stop because there's some fascinating stuff we just didn't have time to get into. This, this whole chapter and the way it flows is it's convicting to say the least. It, 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 convicting enough to have changed the world. Um, so let's take a look. This is from the, what we call in the Bible, the book of Luke, chapter 14, starting with verse 1. I do want to mention, too, if you're here today and you don't have a Bible at home, we'd love to give you one free. Um, we believe in this book. This book changed the world. And we'd love to give you one free. There's a copy in the back. Please, please take one this week or any week that you come. It's a gift to you. All right, I want to read verse 1, then we're going to stop for just a second, and then we're going to jump ahead. But I want to, I want to open this by, by setting the setting that, that this takes place at. It says this uh, in 14.1, One Sabbath, when Jesus came to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him closely. Now, I, I wanted to start there because this is where this whole setting starts, and I think there's a couple important things to note. One, it's important to note, Jesus is at an important person's house. Remember that. Jesus is at an important person's house, at least somebody who believes they're important, and others would look to and say, this is an important person. So, so keep that in mind. And also notice this, too. We could spend a whole month on this. They were watching him carefully. They were watching him carefully. Um, if you identify yourself as a Christian in this society, there are some that will just completely dismiss you. There's others who will watch you closely, in particular, to see how they can trip you up or to see where you excuse me, stumble and fall. So there's the setting. Jesus is in a relatively hostile situation. He's at an important person's house. All right? So with that, let's, uh, let's continue to read. Now let's jump ahead. We're going to jump down to verse 7. We're going to focus on what Jesus says here about seating charts. All right? So we're going to go 7 through 11. Now, Jesus told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose places at the tree table. And he said to them, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, don't go sit at the tree table, lest someone else more distinguish you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, uh, this is the head table. This is the head table, and you really don't belong here. And they'll, they'll say that to you. and Give your place to, to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go sit at the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. And then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, there's some just good practical advice right here, as is often the case with the Bible. There's, there's just so many layers to Scripture. So many layers. So many layers. And one of the layers here is, hey, you want to avoid an awkward situation? You know, you, when, when you go someplace, don't just assume that you're all that and put yourself in the position of all that. When you go someplace, you want to avoid awkwardness, just sit down in a humble spot so that someone could say, hey, what are you doing here? Come, come and move up. So, so there's that level. But this goes so much deeper than that. So much deeper than that. As you look at the life of Jesus, this is, this is not just Jesus saying, you know, here's how to avoid an awkward situation. This is Jesus saying, hey, the seating chart you're using, it's wrong. And Jesus injected, injected some awkwardness of his own into this dinner party. 
He says, the seating chart you're using, it's wrong. The whole thing, it's wrong. And if I were you, I wouldn't be so quick to go grab a seat at the treat table. Why do I say that? I say that because Jesus lived by a completely different standard when it came to these things. Completely different standard. Here's, here's barely even scratching the surface of some things that Jesus did. We'll put these up on the screen. Some things that Jesus did that were just radical. The people at the time didn't do these things. At least mainstream did. Jesus touched and ate with people who had a disease called leprosy. Why is that a big difference? Because Jesus was what was known as clean. They were what? Unclean. Did, did the clean and the unclean sit at the same table? No. Unclean, you belong here. We belong here. Jesus messed with that. Jesus initiated a conversation with a Samaritan woman. Did men just go around initiating conversations like a real conversation with, with women at that time, at that place? No. And then this Samaritan, there's racial implications there. So at the time, people would say, no, you belong at this table. I belong at this table. Jesus said, no, let's have a conversation. And this next one, Jesus healed the daughter of a non-Jewish Canaanite woman. I put Canaanite in quotes here because this is the only place I think in the New Testament this actual word is used, so we had to struggle with how do you translate that. But basically what they're communicating here is that she's not one of us. She's not one of us. She belongs at that table. We belong at this table. What did Jesus do? He healed the daughter on her request. Jesus affirmed a woman who took the posture of a disciple. That comes from the, the, this account where Jesus is, is teaching, and there's a woman at his feet. And he's the master. He's the, the, the teacher. A place at the teacher's feet. That was for guys. That was for male disciples. Her table? Well, actually, her table is really the serving table, literally, right? Her table, feed the guys. He affirms this woman. He says, it's not like that. She's chosen the right thing. Here's another one. Jesus washed disciples' feet. We've talked about that one over and over and over again, how shocking that was. Let's do one more slide of these. Look at this. Jesus proposed a radically different seating chart. Jesus reserved his strongest rebukes for those in positions of authority and those in his inner circle. Think about that. If you want to move up, if you're at the serving table and you want to work your way up to the treat table, do you attack? Do you attack the people at the treat table? Do you call them out and say, what are you doing at the treat table? Woe to you, treat table people. Do, do you do that? No. Did Jesus do that? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and then those in his inner circle. He had this really, really tight inner circle. He had the 12 and then he had the three. One of the three, Peter, he said, get behind me, Satan. You want to move up? Do you do that to your inner circle? So, so there's that. And Jesus, he says things like this. The first will be last, and the last will be first. Do you hear that in the business world? No. And, and this, this next one down here. When an argument arose among Jesus' disciples as to which of them was the greatest, Jesus took a child, put him at his side, and said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. The one who is least among you is the one who is great. Jesus messed with the seating chart. Messed with it. And he didn't just say it and then live a different way. He lived that out. Lived that out. This is a radically different seating chart than the one the world was using at the time. And there were those who began to see things the 
way Jesus saw them. They began to understand no one deserves a seat at the tree table simply because they were born to certain parents or with certain plumbing. Just as significantly, <laughs> that was for the adults, just as significantly, they began to realize that life at the tree table might not be what we really want. It might not be what we really want. He began, they began to see that. And filled with the Spirit of Christ, they began to follow the way of Jesus. There had never been a community like this before. Never. In Christ, there was no longer slave or free. There was no longer male or female. There was, your background didn't matter. Your social status didn't matter. There were no more insiders and outsiders. They loved and treated and cared for and respected and served one another the way that Jesus had loved and treated and cared for and respected and served them. And what they experienced was too good to keep to themselves, which brings us to our next talk point in our outline. Jesus' disciples, they took this new seating chart to the world. Up until this time, there may have been pockets here and there, pockets of people who saw the world the way God sees it. But it was Jesus' people, his movement, these people filled with the Spirit of Christ who had experienced this whole different way to live. They took this, and then they brought it to the world. Among Jesus' last words to the disciples was this promise that one day we would do greater things than he did. These weren't just high hopes on his part. History's proven that to be true. And much of it is the result of, of the seating chart that he taught us to live by. When you believe that you deserve to sit at a certain tree table and deserve others to serve you or others deserve to serve you, you're going to live by a different set of ethics than followers of Jesus live by. For example, let's, let's contrast what was happening back then with, with Jesus. Here, here, when there was a plague, there, there, in the ancient world, plagues used to just sweep through, and they were devastating, and they rightfully caused fear and panic among people. Well, here's, here's what a, uh, a, gr a Greek historian, how he describes what happened in Athens when one of these plagues came through and, started, and people started to die. They said this, the people who got the plague, they died with no one to look after them. People just heaped up the bodies, one on top of the other. And look what he says. No fear of God, meaning their gods, no fear of Greek gods or any law of man had any restraining influence. That was, that was happening in the Greek world. Let's look at the Roman world. Here's, here's what was going on in the Romans. When the plagues came through Rome, there was one plague in particular, about 5,000 people a day dying in Rome. Look at this. At the first onset of the disease, what did these civilized people do? They pushed the sufferers away. They fled from their, their dearest. They threw them on the roads before they were dead. They treated, treated them like dirt, hoping to save themselves. So there's Greece, there's Rome. In that area, arguably the most, quote, civilized societies. That's the code they live by. And it made sense. They, they didn't have any directives from Zeus on how to deal with this. Here's what you do. Here's how you love and serve one another. They didn't have directives from the Roman god Jupiter. He didn't say, get out there and love folks, care for them. But we had Jesus. We had Jesus. Did the people who were followers of Jesus respond differently? Yes. Look at what this person writes. How Christians responded when the plagues came. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need, ministering to them in Christ. And with them, departed this life serenely happy. For they were infected by others with the disease. 
drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Anyone else challenged by that? Because when I picture the zombie apocalypse, I, I picture myself boarding up our house and my wife's just like, stop now. Stop now. But, but how about this? You know, what? People of Jesus, what? They're even worse. They're telling me, wrap it up. Oh, man. Go in peace, serve the Lord. No, okay, we got a couple more things to say. We're, we're close. We're close. But do you get my point? This is convicting to me. This is convicting to me. Because our tendency is to say, protect yourself, protect your own. And, and these people are so transformed by the Spirit of Christ that they could cheerfully say, all right, what do we do? We love these folks. We care for these folks. And we die, we die. And we can do so cheerfully. Wow. Wow. That's a transformation. And, and one, of, one of the reasons they were able to do that is they, they believed Jesus was, tr- was speaking truth. When he said things like, like, like well, let's, let's look at the words of these early Christians here. Look at this. This is from a, a, an early uh, leader in the, in the Christian church. Look what he said. Lepers have been made what? In the image of God. Image of God. Where did they get that from the Bible? From the teaching of Jesus? In the same way you and I have. So lepers have been made in the image. They bear the same the image of God like you and I have. And perhaps preserve that image better than we. Let us take care of Christ while there is still time. Let us minister to Christ's needs. Let us give Christ nourishment. Let us clothe Christ. Let us gather Christ in. Let us show Christ honor. It was as if they really believed this, that the image of God is in these people. So let's minister to them. As we do that, we're ministering to God, not just them. The seating chart was changing. We serve God in part by serving others. The same council that affirmed the Nicene Creed also decreed, get this, that wherever a cathedral existed, there must also be a place of caring for the sick and the poor. One Christian group, I love this next one. One Christian group instructed their bishops. They said this, all right, bishops, you leaders in the church, if a rich person comes in and you're having your service, you just ignore them. You keep going. If a poor person comes in, man or woman, they come in, you stop everything. You make sure they're attended to. Even if it means bishops, you sit on the floor, they get your chair. Love that. Seating chart was changing. We have a transcript from a 1,600-year-old Lent sermon where the pastor rips slavery. He scolds Christians who own slaves. And, and since the time of Jesus, Christians have always been on the forefront combating slavery in its different forms. Christians follow a different seating chart. Historically, prisons. Prisons have been among the most horrific places on earth. And I read an account recently where in Ethiopia, back in the day, in, in, in these horrible, horrible prisons, there were these prisoners who didn't necessarily believe in God, but they used to pray to the God they didn't necessarily believe in for him to send Christians to prison. Why? Because when the Christian would come to prison, people who were Christians would make sure, let's take care of them, and they would bring them food, so much food that that person would have food to share to the other prisoners. So you have non-Christian prisoners praying to a God they don't necessarily believe in, that he's going to send Christians to their prison. Seating chart. It's changing. When you hear the Salvation Army bells ring, when you see the name of a saint on a hospital, when you hear of World Vision or Compassion International or Samaritan's Purse, when you visit a YMCA, when you see a Red Cross, all of these organizations began 
with Jesus' followers. His influence on our society is everywhere. Everywhere. This one guy and the movement he began. We don't simply try to appease as Christians. We don't simply try to appease a disconnected deity with the hopes that in doing so, he or she might elevate us over others. We follow the example of Jesus as recorded here in an ancient letter that's recorded in our Bible. This is from the book of, of Philippians, we call it. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Hit me pause there. You can pray for this. In fact, you're encouraged to pray for this, that the Spirit of Christ would come and change your mind and change your heart. In fact, we need that. Without it, it's not going to change. So we can have this mind. It is ours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself. He took the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name. What impact did the example of Jesus have on our world? Here's how one person sums it up. This is a guy named Mark Nelson. He says this. He doesn't say that. That's what Paul said. Do we have a next slide? No? All right, I'll say what he says. He says this. If you ask what is Jesus' influence on medicine and compassion, I would suggest that wherever you have an institution of self-giving for the lonely, schools, hospitals, hospices, orphanages, for those who will never be able to repay, this probably has its roots in the movement of Jesus. How significant was this man? Before we close our time together this morning, let's quickly go back to the banquet where we began. Let's look quickly what comes next. Jesus says also to the man that invited him, when you give a dinner or banquet, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they invite you in return to be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be what? Blessed. Don't miss that word. You will be blessed. You will be blessed. If you're going to set up a taffy table, set one up for people who don't get taffy, and you serve them. The world points us to that taffy tail. Jesus points us to the cross. You know, did you notice, I, I did this on purpose. Actually, I didn't do this on purpose. I think the Holy Spirit just told me, hey, do you see what I set up here? Um, do you see what happens when you get further away from the serving table towards the treat table in reference to the cross? The more you pursue that treat table at the expense of the serving table, the further you get away from the cross. Does it mean that you have to give up some good things to follow Jesus? Yes, it does. Will you have to give up some good things to follow Jesus? Yes. But I, my new favorite definition of sacrifice is sacrifice is giving up something you want for something you want more. Sacrifice is giving up something you want for something you want more. And I believe this with all my heart. Here's the last thing to write down. Kids, you have been great and big kids. You've been great. A new and better life waits for those who follow the way of Jesus. I didn't always believe that, other than the heaven thing. I believe this now, even here on earth. 
that a new and better life waits for those who follow the way of Jesus. You can spend your whole life working your way up to the treat table, but by the end of the day, all you have is leftover taffy. You gain the temporary approval of others, many of whom are going to throw you under the bus if they can take your taffy, right? You gain stuff you can't keep. You gain a reputation you can quickly lose, and you become less able to be content in all circumstances. It's just leftover candy, like we sang earlier. This is all going to dissolve like snow. Believe it or not, that snow is going to dissolve. might not be till June, but it will dissolve, as will the taffy. It's temporary. Not for a while yet. At the cross, we find something qualitatively different, something that has the power to transform us, something that has the power to transform the world, something lasting. All right, kids, you've been great. I, can you help me with one thing before we wrap up? Can you help me with one thing? Okay, up here, I have some toys. I've got a whole bunch of different types of toys. I've got these little stuffed toys. I've got paddle balls that I can never get to work, but maybe you can. We have those things you blow them up and then you go boom, 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 boom. But don't hit your brother or sister if you do that. We got jump ropes. We got little cars. I found these little airplane deals. I think they look like a lot of fun. Just don't send them like down to the people who are eating downstairs. Okay? We have some toys here. Now, how many of you kids would rather have a toy than one piece of taffy? How many would you rather have a toy than a piece of taffy? Okay, a lot of you. Hands all over the place. Why would you rather have a toy than a piece of taffy? Can you want to, Why? Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't last, but a toy can last longer, right? Right? So if any of you would rather have a toy than a piece of candy, come up here. Don't take a toy yet, but we're going to pray for you. Come on up if you want a toy. Come on up. Just, just wait here. Don't take a toy yet, but we'll, because there's plenty of toys. But, but just come up here and just wait, and then I'm going to pray for you guys. I'm going to pray for the, the grown-ups and the teenagers, and then um, we'll just pray for our food, and then you guys can take a toy. All right? Now, Remember, don't do it yet. There, and there's plenty. You don't have to rush. There's all kinds of them here, okay? Let me just say this as these guys are coming forth. This is my hope for us, that we would do the same thing when it comes to the cross. That we would be able to say to God, you know, God, I want that more lasting thing. I want that deeper thing. I want that thing that's really going to change my life, that thing that, that is of a qualitative difference. I'm, I'm putting these kids in just no-win situation. So let me, let me just pray. Let's pray for them. Yeah. Let's pray. Yeah, let's pray. All right, let me pray for you guys. Let me pray for the adults. And then, guys, before we have this, we're going to say thanks for the food, too. Okay? So don't... Okay, you got it. Yeah, wise guy. All right, let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for the example of these kids. And I pray that as they grow older, they will make this choice of, of taking the better instead of the good. Those of you who are parents, those of you who care about these kids, pray that, too. Lord, we pray that as they get older, as they grow up, that they will always choose the best instead of the good. And, Lord, we pray that for us, too especially in this season right now, as, as we look focused on you, help us to choose the best instead of the good. In Jesus' name, amen.